Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. It is time once again to talk about Joshi Pro Wrestling. I'm Aaron Bentley. I'm joined by my good friend Taylor Mainberg to talk Joshi. What's up, Taylor? How's it going? I'm very excited to be here. We're talking about three very uh, different and fun shows today, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's still, you know, pandemic hours here on Jumping Bomb Audio, unfortunately. Now, there were some shows that happened that we're going to talk about. But the meat of this show is going to be continuing to go through the beginning of stardom. Uh, if you haven't watched yet, you can stop listening now and go check out 2.12.11 and 2.27.11, the second and third ever stardom shows. We're going to talk about those. And the Sendai Girls show from July 2, 2016, which is available on independentwrestling.tv. And if you use the code Sendai, you can get a five-day trial so you can watch it for free so that's what we're going to talk about if you aren't aware yet uh, but if you haven't if you've already seen them or you just want to listen and don't care then uh, proceed my friends so that's what we're going to talk about if you want to reach out to taylor and or me you can find us on twitter at jbomb audio i think we've been doing a little bit better job about using the twitter account I did live tweet the recent Marvelous show, but it happened in the middle of the night. It happened in the middle of the night. I think it was something like it started at 12 midnight Eastern time. So I don't know if a lot of people saw it, uh, but we, I agree. We are doing a little bit better. It's, you know, slow and steady progress. We don't want to just go all out. We beginning. can't be very impressive right out of the gate because then we don't have any room to grow and improve. Really. Exactly. Exactly. If you want to reach out to us separately, I'm at Aaron like the car. Taylor is at T-A-M-A-I-M-B-O. Tamembo. Correct. That's how I like to pronounce it. You can subscribe to the show. Please do. You search Jumping Bomb Audio on the podcast app of your choice, or we're part of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network, and you can subscribe to that and get this show along with all the others. If you're using the Apple Podcast app, we'd appreciate if you rated and reviewed the show. So if there are you know, any other Joshi fans out there in the world, they might find this podcast. And if you want to donate to the show, you can go to redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. No big news, really, this week, I don't think, Taylor. No, there was news that All Japan 
uh, is thinking, or at least there's some thought that they may be starting a women's division. Suwama had an interview out recently that talked about, uh, discussed the success of women in WWE and mentioned that they uh, were possibly scouting uh, women's wrestlers for their own division. That's all we really know from that interview. And obviously with everything going on, those plans may be put on hold as these sort of smaller non-corporate backed promotions just are trying to sort of get through uh, to the other side of this. So who knows if that happens, but it was mentioned. That's the only sort of tidbit of news that happened recently. And there are a handful of shows happening. Now they're all with no fans, largely like dojo type shows. And I don't correct me if I'm wrong on this, Taylor, but to me it feels like they're not essential shows. Would you agree with that characterization? Uh, yes, I would agree with that. I think that most people, um, maybe with the exception of Ice Ribbon, who, as I'll mention in a few minutes, has reintroduced a title and are doing a title tournament. So that's a little bit more, uh, I guess, essential in terms of storylines or things like that. But most shows are just sort of running um, little shows, just fun things. Marvelous, for example, I'll talk about in a minute. They ran a show last week. It was only an hour. It had two matches. It was just sort of for fun. They did it in their JoJo. So yeah, I would agree. Most shows are if you miss them, you know, you're not missing huge plot advancements or storyline movement in any way. All right. Well, what have you been keeping up with? I think it's basically everything, but you want to tell us about some of the shows that have been going on? Yeah. So uh, Chaco Pro, which is the spinoff of Gato Move, has been still running shows. Those have been a lot of fun to keep up with. They're uh, very quick to get through. Usually the entire show is about an hour and a half, but only about an hour, maybe a little bit less of that is actual wrestling. They usually have three matches or so, and then they do a uh, Jonkin tournament at the end of the actual wrestling, which Jonkin, for those who don't know, is the Japanese rock, paper, scissors. Uh, so they do that, and then sometimes they have extra, um, they might have an interview at the end with some with a guest who happens to be on the show. But those happen sporadically. I'll talk about it closer to the end of the show as we talk about upcoming airings when the next few shows are, because they've announced their next three shows as of the time we're recording this. Uh, but those have been a lot of fun, easy to get through their, you know, they sort of have a very jovial uh, mood about them. So to me, they've been, of all the shows that have been happening, of all the promotions I've watched, they're the easiest to get through, and they're the ones that I look forward to the most as they air. Um, Ice Ribbon has also been doing shows at their dojo with no audience. They are running a tournament for the IWJQ title. Um, the IWJQ title is a returning title for Ice Ribbon. It was the main title of an old streaming show that Ice Ribbon used to have called Q O'Clock Girls. It was a streaming show on Ustream, uh, which was an old, I don't even know if they're still around anymore, but an old streaming platform. 
Uh, in 2013, there was a unification match between the IWGQ title and the Ice Infinity title. So that title went away, but it has now returned. Uh, and they are doing a tournament um, with... They have one block that is people who were around back when the title existed and competed for the title. And they have one block that is people who never competed for the title who you know, either weren't involved or debuted after that title was unified with the main title. Uh, so that'll be fun. It'll end up in three um, triangle ribbon matches, which are three-way matches, and then it will code. It will come down to two finalists. So they're in the middle of that now. They have been running shows every Saturday uh, that go on their Nico channel and on YouTube. Um, and you can catch that on demand on YouTube for a few days after those shows air. Then they take them down and they usually upload the first match or two to YouTube for free. So if you want to check that out, you can do that on YouTube for free. Seedling actually uploaded their March 23rd show to YouTube. Uh, that was a show that we talked about on this show uh, before it happened. We didn't know whether it would air anywhere, and I don't know that if all of this stuff had happened, if it would have aired anywhere. It was a show in Shinkiba. It was one of their smaller shows with only four matches. But they have put those all up on their YouTube, uh, so you can check those out. They're in the individual matches, so if you only want to watch the main event or the semi-main event, you can do that. Uh, one thing to be aware of that sort of caught me off guard with that is that they have made the decision to put their theme music as a bed of music underneath the entire match. So as you're watching the match, you'll hear this guy in the background singing, uh, which to me was slightly distracting. Uh, I'm not sure why they did that. Maybe it was a rights thing or something like that. But four matches that I very much enjoyed uh, with some good drop-in Sakushi from Ice Ribbon is part of the high-speed match. And it really kicks off what would have been the next segment of the seedling storylines, which is Arisa uh, Nakajima against her former stable, the Selfish Strawberries. So check that out if you want. And finally, Marvelous has started doing shows from their dojo. They did the first one uh, last weekend, April 25th, on Fresh Live, which is their streaming platform, freshlive.tv. And that's about an hour show. They had two matches, just sort of a fun uh, diversion. And they've announced that they're going to do those shows every other week on Saturday. So that is another thing to look forward to. Um, you can catch that old show on fresh live or catch the future shows also on fresh live. So that's, what's been going on. All right. That is the Joshi that has been happening. Uh, I just, frankly, Taylor, if you don't, if people don't listen to this, don't know, I do the everything elite podcast. So I kind of have to watch AW every week. And that's like enough no fans wrestling for me forever, two hours a week. I just, I'm over no crowds. I'm over stuff without like super high stakes. It's just, uh, I'm mostly watching a lot of old wrestling, to be honest. And I, I think we talked about this uh, before we recorded, but I've sort of had the 
you know, I haven't really been in love with the no um, fan wrestling. As I mentioned, I think Choco Pro has done the best with it as they've kept the shows sort of short. They have um, English commentary on it. They do a few things, so it's not just, you know, wrestling, wrestling. And it's sort of a lighthearted way to pass an hour. It's not two hours or three hours of a show. But I have actually found it very difficult to get into um, older wrestling because I just, to me, it doesn't connect something in my brain. I watch it and I'm like, hey, I could maybe watch, you know, this old show. Really, the only old wrestling I've really enjoyed watching are these stardom shows and the Sendai Girl show that we've watched for uh, recording this podcast because I feel like I you know, starting at the beginning of the promotion has been exciting for me as a period of time I didn't watch or I was not a fan of when it originally began. Um, So I've sort of had the opposite reaction to you, although I do agree that uh, I do wish that we could see some full arena matches full of fans. Um, You know, there is something that is missing even though these promotions are trying very hard, they're really going above and beyond to provide things for us to watch. There is something missing from these no fan shows. Yeah. Taylor and I had a big discussion off the, off the show the other day about, I was saying I was really enjoying this time in a way because I could just kind of watch whatever I felt like watching. And Taylor, your response was more, uh, God, I hate this. There's nothing to watch. <laughs> I think I think also I feel sort of crushed by the option. It's almost like people talk about browsing on Netflix where you go on Netflix and you're like, I have thousands of options. And then you become paralyzed by the fact that you have so many options that you can't choose anything. And I think that's part of it for me, which is that I have so many. I mean, there's so many options now between people putting things on YouTube and I have DVDs and, you know, people are offering shows on Twitter for download that I'm downloading. And there's so many options that I can do that sometimes it's just like, I just wish there was a live show with fans. It's like, this is what you should watch because it's new. You don't know what happens. And that's what you should watch because it really simplifies it in my brain rather than me saying, well, do I want to watch you know, this show, and then I could, you know, go in order and watch a bunch of shows. Do I want to watch this random show? It's just too many options for my brain to handle. Yeah, I think that's fair. I've, I don't know, a couple of things have just leapt out to me that I've chosen, but I was, for another project, I was reading some uh, wrestling, old wrestling observers recently. And I was reading the part where people are like asking each other, you know, for tapes that they were trying to trade. And it almost makes you long for that, for those days of like, if it were if this were happening in like 1994, I would just be able to watch whatever I had, <laughs> you know, whatever tapes I had is what I would watch. Or you would get like one tape from someone every three or four weeks, and that would be the thing you would watch because you would probably have been waiting for it, very highly anticipated that you would get whatever the video you would get from, you know, some stranger who lives three thousand miles away or something. Yeah, what a world. I, I missed out on that that part of wrestling fandom. I was like too young, I guess, when it was mostly going. And then I was out of wrestling for a long time. So by the time I got back into it, 
it was pretty much, you know, you could find stuff on the internet. So I, I kind of missed out on that era. Yeah, I was at the tail end of it, and I have some DVDs that I got, but part of it also was during that era, I was not as tuned into everything as I am now, which is partly because of the internet. It's very, it's much easier to find information about different promotions. So oftentimes I would get things that, you know, people would be like, Hey, Noah's really great. And so I would just get five Noah shows, but I had no background for what any of this was. So I'd watch them and be like, well, I don't really know what's going on. Um, I don't know who most of these people are. Um, so there was, it was a little bit tricky unless you were really, you know, tied in. I was not, you know, 15 years ago when I was in my teens, I was not subscribing to uh, the wrestling observer, which probably would have helped. So I was sort of out of the loop and just on my own trying to figure out, you know, what was good and what I wanted to see. Well, that's been one of the good things, as you mentioned, about us starting the the stardom series from the very beginning. So we've picked up some notes that are helpful, but otherwise you kind of just get to see the people grow as they did from the very first show. So uh, that's been a lot of fun for me, I think, as you have said, and I I hope we have live crowd shows soon. Uh, but even if we don't keep talking about these stardom shows on the show uh, every episode. I will probably just keep watching these for for fun, and maybe we'll be able to do something else, continuing to cover these after wrestling is is back in earnest. Yeah, I've really, as I mentioned, I've actually probably these stardom shows are the thing I've enjoyed the most in terms of watching older wrestling since this all began. Um, and I think part of it is it's very easily accessible. You know, you go on Stardom World, and they're all there. Um, and also, as we'll mention probably shortly, these shows are very short. Um, they're very easy to get through. I think the second show, the 227 show, maybe had 40 minutes of in-ring stuff. So they're very easy to get through. They're not a long haul, um, all afternoon or all evening dedication to sit down and watch them. Absolutely. Now, I will say, I think these are pretty heavily edited. The best I can tell. So yeah, the second show is definitely edited and we'll talk about that, but so, so I think there's probably more of this show that exists out there somewhere, but uh, we didn't get to watch it. So we'll start with the second stardom show. This happened on February 12th, 2011. They're back at Shinkiba first ring. I noticed that they lost a, a pretty decent percentage of their crowd. They went from 466 fans for the first show down to 312 for this show. Uh, in the same building. So that's a little unfortunate. Um, yeah. And uh, one note about the last episode, we were talking about what is the capacity of Shinkiba. Uh, we weren't sure. I actually looked it up um, after we were done. The highest claimed attendance in the building is a New Japan show in 2007 claimed 483 fans. Now, I'm not sure if that was back at a time when New Japan was fudging their numbers. Uh, it certainly is possible that they were. But even if they weren't, that still says that that first New Japan show, which was in the mid fours, was pretty close to being 
totally packing the building in, entirely full, if not being totally full. Yeah, the the real number is probably between like four fifteen and four fifty or something. If just guessing. Yeah, I don't know if there's ways that they can sort of shove extra seats in there if they're really really full. Um, having been in the building a number of times, I'm not sure where those seats would be unless you added something like four rows to the um, f- floor seating, which would make things very crammed and very tight for everyone sitting down there. I don't know if that's possible, but yeah, um, they were probably they were probably in there totally full at that point. My funny story about Shinkiba is we reserved tickets through Momo Watanabe, of course, for the stardom show that, that we went to. And we needed four tickets. And we got there and you got Sonny and he's you know, passing out the tickets. You know, all the foreigners are lining up to get their tickets. And I give him whatever. I don't remember exactly what you have to give him, but I, I give him my thing. I tell him my name. He looks it up and he's like, hmm, uh, just wait a second. And I'm like, holy shit, what, you know, what's wrong with my tickets? You know, I've, I've flown all the way to Japan for this show. And he talks to somebody and they leave and they come back and they do something. And he's like, uh, okay, here it is. Uh, this is where your seats are, whatever. This guy will show you. And so we got in there and they clearly had only reserved us three seats and had to add another seat to the row <laughs> to give us four <laughs> seats. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. Yeah, I've said... I think now at this point I've sat about in every sort of section of Shinkiba that you possibly can. And there are some sections in there where you are, I mean, it is tight. It is tight on a lesser attended show. I've been there for some shows that probably only had 200 or so people and you're still a little bit crammed in there. So I can't imagine being in there with 400 plus people in that building. Yeah, we were in the section, if you're coming out of the ramp, to the left of the ramp. Yeah, I think when I saw a stardom show there, I was to the, I think I was in the same section. You mean looking at the ramp or if you were literally coming out on the ramp? If you were walking out on the ramp. Okay, we, we, we were on the, the we were on the right side um, for the stardom show I saw there, but still the similar... I mean, it's a similar view and similar section. We were pretty comfy, but we were in the first row. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of cramping to be done, I suppose. Right. Um, I sat once, um, I went to a J stage show there, and I sat on the first row of the risers that are on the other side. And it's it's the the place where everyone who's on the risers has to walk by in order to get to the risers. Um, So I spent a lot of the show turned to the side, letting people in, um, which was not great, but it was a great show. And I had a great time because, you know, you're in Japan and it's very exciting and you can't believe it. But that was probably um, of all the times I've been there, probably the least desirable spot I've sat in. You were also there for a J stage show. Yes, which was a great show. It turned out really fun. Um, I always say, um, when people ask me about going to Japan, I say, if you're a wrestling fan, even if you follow whatever promotions you follow, 
I say if there's a show on a night and you're free and you're debating, should I go to the show? I always say go to the shows. I've been to some weird. I mean, I went to that J stage show. I went to a hard hit show. Um, it's how I discovered YMZ, which is that they were running a show when I was in Japan. I had never even heard of them and just decided to go because I happened to, you know, I was like, might as well. And I went and I had such a good time. So I recommend anyone who goes to Japan, take a chance on maybe a promotion that you've never watched before. Because uh, you may find that you, you know, have a new interest. Um, and ever since then, you know, I followed YMZ. So that's, you know, stayed with me even three years after I first saw them randomly on, I think, a Friday night or something in Japan at Shinkiba. My greatest regret of my Japan trip was that I was able to talk my wife into doing like five wrestling shows, and two of those were New Japan shows. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it was fun to be in the Tokyo Dome for Wrestle Kingdom, and I enjoyed being there when Naito got his big win and all that. But uh, if I could have only done one of those shows, I think I would have been more than happy. Yeah, the the Tokyo Dome is a place that, you know, obviously I understand the significance and the history of wrestling, but it's not a place that really has ever interested me from a perspective of wanting to go and see wrestling there live. Um, I'm someone who likes to be close, um, who likes to have good seats, and Obviously, at the Tokyo Dome, that's a lot harder because of how big the space is. So it's something that I've never really, it's never really called to me as something I need to do. I much prefer going to Japan and sitting in Shinkiba for two weeks because, you know, you're close. It's a super, um, it's a very nice venue. Every seat is a good view to me. Um, so I highly prefer the intimacy of sort of smaller shows over the the grandiose nature of seeing something at the Tokyo Dome or the bigger the bigger venues. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I definitely will spend more time at the smaller venues watching Joshi uh, my next trip, assuming they ever let Americans back in the country. Okay, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Yes, I mean you couldn't blame them really. So, getting back to the Stardom show from February twelfth, two thousand eleven. Uh, leading up to this, there was a press conference on January 25th, and uh, Nanai said, uh, I'm sure referring to Yusuke Aikawa, that there was swelling on her face, and we received complaints from various quarters. Yeah, she talked about how they had received some complaints, but that her goal was to, you know, that she was now a professional wrestler, and the goal was to really put her through you know, the ringer and really test her um, in terms of being a wrestler. You know, she came from the world of modeling, but when you're in a wrestling ring, you're a wrestler. Uh, you're not a model. So, you know, those complaints were sort of brushed aside by uh, Nanai. Well, she was in the very first match on this show from February 12th, taking on Ari Susa, who uh, struggled a little bit uh, her first go around. Uh, and, you know, it's just watching this just uh, made me come even more to grips with the fact that Aikawa was just a fucking star, man. I mean, like, this is a slightly edited match, I think, and, and Aikawa wins with a Northern Light suplex. But she just, obviously from modeling, she probably got some of the ability to project herself, some charisma, some some self-assurance. But 
she really comes across as a big star and looks at home in a wrestling ring. I thought the rest, the in-ring stuff was a little bit clunkier than obviously the tag match, but that's sort of to be understood that she's facing, she's going from facing uh, Nanai, very talented uh, veteran to going to facing Ari, who was a rookie having only one match at this point. And as we discussed last time, uh, very nearly not passing her protest in time to take part in the first show. So it was a little bit more clunky, but she definitely has, as you mentioned, the air of someone who is a big deal, who is a star. Um, And separately, I just want to mention, I had brought up last time briefly that something about Sousa's outfit was strange to me. And I figured it out this time. It's that she's wearing shorts and one part is just a regular short and the other side of it is like a skirt. Um, I found that very odd. I don't know. Not a good look for me. And I think I think I was going to ask you this at the end, Aaron, and maybe we can do it at the end after we review the shows. But in terms of sort of ranking the – after three shows, ranking the rookies of stardom, I think it's fairly clear that Ari Sousa is – sort of a distant last place for me, at least. I don't know if you agree. Okay. Let's definitely do that after the shows. Cause I have some thoughts. Great. <laughs> I made some notes also on this. So uh, that'll be good to get into. Next up. We had passion seven taking on Haruka. And uh, again, we go to a three minute time limit draw for Haruka. She's sticking in there. Um, I think she's a great wrestler. She has a lot of, um, she's obviously very skillful. I mean, I think she's sort of held back by the fact that she's absolutely tiny and she's eight years old, but she clearly shows some promise. I mean, I'm watching this match is, you know, unfortunately knowing that in eight months she leaves the business, but I'm sort of, I sort of wish that she would come back and see if, you know, could she be good? I I think she could based on how good she is here, but you know, you never know. Um, another strange thought I had, I had strange thoughts throughout the whole show. Um, Passion Sevens was wearing a mask that the top seemed to um, be reminiscent of flames. And I was just wondering if the implication is that her hair is a flame or her whole head is a flame like Ghost Rider or something. What do you think, Aaron? I can't say that I really thought about that, Taylor. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, I, I guess we could assume that she is uh, a flame with passion. You know, her, her passion is so intense that it uh, just she's set on fire with her passion for something. I'm not sure what her passion is for, to be honest. Well, probably wrestling, I would imagine. I would think so, but it, it's not clear. I mean, it's not completely spoken what her passion is. That's true, and she might not be that passionate about wrestling if she can't beat an eight-year-old in three minutes. So, Yeah, that's concerning, for sure. Um, I also agree that Haruka was great here. Her yelling at Passion 7 to give up in like the armbar or whatever she had on her, I just that made me laugh very hard. I thought that was very funny, very good. Uh, because obviously Passion 7 is is much bigger than she is. And 
they I thought they did a better job this time with Passion Seven kind of healing a little more. And she had the the throat strikes that really got the crowd behind Haruka. So, uh, I mean, I don't know what it says about me that I enjoy watching wrestling matches with eight-year-olds, but I truly enjoyed this. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It was it was very good again. Next up was Mika Nagano taking on Mayu Iwatani. And this was... Uh, Nagano got the win with the cross arm breaker. I just think... She is like so good. I'm so excited about Mika Nagano at, at this point in her career. I was so baffled though. Why after the first show, she had that sort of cool, very unique gear that they put her sort of in the more generic idol gear. I don't know if maybe the first show they didn't have time to make her gear and they were like, just go out there in your MMA. But I thought that it made her look very unique against all of these other sort of, idol-based wrestlers. Um, So I was a little bit bummed at that. I found the match a little bit to be a little bit clunky. And I thought that they sort of moved away from Mika's strengths in terms of the grappling stuff until the very end where she submitted her with the arm bar. Um, So I was a little bit disappointed in the match. It, it, I didn't love it. No, it looked a lot like two people having their second match ever, <laughs> for sure. But there's just so much to like about uh, Mika Nagano, I thought. You know, the, those spears that she hit in this match, which were super stiff. I agree about the look thing. I enjoyed the, the look from before. But it's just, if this were 2011, I would be thinking, this is a star in this business. Next Interesting, because I thought oh. that after the first match, and I didn't think it after the second match. Huh, I'm still on the Mikanagano train, for sure. Big fan. The next match was Arisa Hoshiki taking on Nanai Takahashi, and Nanai wins with a uh, top rope splash. This was uh, pretty good, I thought. I mean, it's fast-paced, hard-hitting, all the stuff I like. Now, Arisa gets blown up a little toward the end, and the, the match kind of falls off, I thought. Uh, but when she hits that Brazilian kick, the crowd is still like amazed by it. And you can see, I'm trying to think of this as if I'm watching it for the first, I mean, I am watching it for the first time, but as if I don't know what happens later. And so I just, she strikes me here as like really somebody to watch going forward, even if she's not grabbing me as much as Mika Nagano is. Yeah, I think she looked really good. Uh, The one, I guess the one caveat would be, I think, that and we'll talk about this in the next show as well. That any of these uh, women going wrestling Nanai makes them look good because Nanai is so good at both giving offense, but she's also very good at receipt taking offense. Um, and she makes everyone she fights look good. Um, and so it's sort of natural that you wrestle a veteran, a very you know, she won the 2010. Uh, Joshi Wrestler of the Year Award. So she obviously is very good. She made Hoshiki look very good in this match. Um, the kicks, I agree with you, looked very good, looked very cool. And I think part of that is also credit to Nanai taking those kicks. Um, but yeah, I think that Arisa looked good. She certainly um, is... Um, someone who 
I think, in my mind, is at the upper, the higher echelon of the rookies so far. You keep teasing those rookie rankings. I know. I keep keep teasing. I keep teasing. (laughs) You have to stay for another, you know, 30 minutes to find out what I'll say. (laughs) That's right. Okay. The main event of this show, uh, Yoko Bito and Iris taking on Natsuki Tayo and Yoshiko. And uh, the winner of the match was the Yoshiko and Natsuki Tayo team. Yoshiko pinned Yoko Bito with a senton and quite a disrespectful pin, I thought. <laughs> yeah, I really liked this match. I thought it was a really good mix of four different styles. Uh, it wasn't all one style, you know, Bito with the kicks and Yoshiko more... Uh, of a power wrestler and Natsuki Tayo is sort of high speed, um, an agile wrestler. And uh, I think we're about to go into a debate on Iris um, who to me in this match looked just sort of fine for a wrestler who's now had four matches. Um, I will say this, um, this was my favorite match on the show. So there is something to the fact that Iris has had the, Uh, two best matches on the first two shows, or she's at least been involved in the first two matches, uh, the the best two matches of the first two shows of stardom. Uh, But I thought it was a really great mix of talent um, and a little bit of a, uh, the first feud brewing between Yoshiko and uh, Yoko Bido. Yeah. So one of my notes for this match is literally, I will die on the Iris is good hill. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think she's good. I really like her. I mean, no offense to her or to you, but the fact that in a few months she'll be totally done uh, is probably a point more in my column than in your column. <laughs> than in your column. See, what I think um, happened was she was so good that she just <laughs> felt like there really wasn't anything else to accomplish in wrestling. I'm not even going to acknowledge. I'm not going to acknowledge that comment. <laughs> that's what happened. That actually, that's canon. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> She sometimes when you are, you know, a prodigy at something, it, it just burns you out quickly, Taylor. Maybe that's you've never experienced that in your life. But wow, uh, when you're really good wow. at something quickly, <laughs> it can burn you out on it. I do imagine now. No. Uh, now, the fact that you said that, I do imagine like a late night meeting where they call her in um, a bunch of Joshi representatives calling her into an office or some dark lit room and they're like you can't we we won't allow you to continue wrestling because you're making us all look bad um because you're so good i that's sort of giving me a kick but oh wow i didn't know that we were getting personal about our (laughs) preferences of 2011 stardom shows see what what really probably happens this actually this is what happened i've read i've caught up on the history uh she is like 15 16 years old at this point she had this excellent tour in Japan coming over from Mexico. And at the end of it, the, the stardom powers that be told her, you have to, you're so good, you have to move to Japan and stay here so that we can train you properly. And she wasn't willing to abandon her family and move to Japan. And so she knew that going back to Mexico just wouldn't, she wouldn't be as fulfilled as she had been on this tour of Japan. So she just decided to hang it up. That's the story of Iris. And I should say, we're arguing this. I don't think that she's bad. Um, 
I mean, as I mentioned, she is a wrestler who at this point had had four matches in her whole career. And I've seen people much worse, uh, much, much worse after more than four matches in their career. Um, But to me, she's just someone in the match who is just sort of a body at this point where they need four people and they say, oh, we have this person and we can sort of just squeeze them in and get through the match. I'm really offended that you won't engage with my bits. I mean, I'm putting a lot of thought into them. I think they're well executed. Although you did confuse me because I wasn't sure what part of the story that you just told the virus was true or not. (laughs) So I didn't want to engage any of it as to not have you at the end go, oh, I've made all of that up and make me look very foolish. (laughs) No comment. I will never tell which of that was, what of that was real. Okay, but... Talking about this match, I know, although maybe people who really hate Yoshiko have stopped listening because they know we're going to talk about Yoshiko on this podcast. So I know a lot of people hate her, but uh, she rules is what I'm going to say. I'm not passing judgment on anything else that ever happened. But the point in this match where she threw Iris into the corner by her hair and then just dragged Yoko Bito in, no tag, just dragged her in and made her part of the match. Uh, it ruled. That was great. Uh, the Yoshiko, Yoko Bito slap exchange toward the end of this match was so good. Uh, it's just that Bito Yoshiko, the burgeoning feud that you mentioned earlier, is something that I'm really enjoying early on in stardom. I think that Yoshiko is a very, uh, she's a much better tag wrestler than she is a singles wrestler. So this is sort of the ideal place to put her. And I also thought she looked very good because it allows her to come in, do her stuff, which usually looks pretty good. And there's no lull of sort of figuring out because you're one-on-one what to do next, you know, what to do next. You tag your partner in and then you have a moment and then you can come in and do um, a couple more things. So I think that tag matches, especially early on, you know, it's so early in her career at this point, really highlight her, her strengths and hide her weaknesses. All right, moving on to the the next show, the February 27, 2011 show. They're back at Shinkiba again. They ticked up the attendance a little bit. They went from 312 to 335. I say we just lumped the first two matches together because we, we don't see much of them. Uh, the, so we had Yoko Bito versus Eri Susa and Yoko Bito versus Iris in the Susa match. I am not good at Japanese in any way, shape, or form. But I think when it starts, they're doing the five minutes past call on the, uh, you know, the the ring announcer is doing the five minutes past call. So I think we missed most of this match. I think that's true because also when the pin happened, they showed a match time of something like six minutes and 27 seconds or something like that which lines up with the video file was three minutes long, but about a minute of that is the second match, which for some reason appears twice in on the show, weirdly. So I think that's right, that it was probably around the five-minute time because we saw about a minute and the show or, or the match was about six and a half minutes. But, I mean, I can't really draw much from either of these matches. Yoko Bito won both of them. Um, I'm sure they were fine. Yeah, there's. I don't even have any notes because it's hard to have thoughts about a match that you see 58 seconds of. So, uh, yeah, I don't have any, don't have anything to say. 
Next up was uh, Sakura Hirota versus Haruka. And uh, shockingly, Taylor, I don't know if you were expecting this when the match started, but it goes to a time limit draw. Well, I'm going to say this, that I've enjoyed these matches. They've been very good. Uh, Haruka's got to start winning some of these matches. Uh, What's going on? You know, you can't move up the card if you don't win matches. If you're just doing time limit draws in the undercard, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to advance your career, especially against someone like Hirota, who uh, usually gets, you know, beaten like a drum everywhere she goes, uh, losing matches left and right. So I'm, I'm pulling Haruka. You got to pull out a win. Come on. I'm really rooting for it. Maybe that's why she quit wrestling. She uh, wasn't getting a strong enough push. She needed more respect from the bookers. Maybe. Maybe. This was basically a normal Sakura Hirota match, even nine years ago. Uh, and Haruka continued to rule as she as she has in every other match she's been involved in. Yeah, she was great. Um, there was some pre-match comments that I read about that uh, Hirota was, wanted to make this a, a best of three match that when Hirota was eight years old and, or when, yeah, when Hirota was eight years old and Haruka was not alive, um, that somehow uh, Hirota had determined that Haruka beat her at that point um, so then they moved forward 24 years because in this match, um, Hirota is 32 and um, Haruka is eight. Um, and that would be the second of three matches. And then in another 24 years when Haruka is 32 and um, Hirota is 56, they would have the third um and final match of this three-match series. So this is technically match two of three uh, that goes to a draw. Well, (laughs) what lore there. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next up we had Nanai Takahashi versus Mayu Iwatani. And Nanai wins again with a splash. Mayu is crying before this match starts. Do you have any idea why? Yeah, that was my first note as well, is that I put a note that says, Mayu crying? Question mark. Um, I'm not really sure of that. Maybe it's because she was wearing those same pants again um, <laughs> that I didn't like. Um, uh, those maybe. uneven pant legs. Um, I don't know. Maybe she was very nervous. Maybe she... Um, I don't know, felt unprepared or something like that. I I couldn't determine, but then the match starts and she seems to fairly quickly uh, get into it and whatever the issue is goes away because at one point she stands in the middle of the ring when Nanai's on the floor making these very strange faces at her. Um, sort of scary faces to mock her, I guess, but whatever the reason was, it went, it disappeared fairly, fairly quickly. Mayu is a, a very anxious and very strange young woman. I don't think there's any debate about that. Uh, so who knows? It could literally have been anything. The, the match itself uh, was not that special. I didn't think not a great Mayu showing for me. Yeah, I agree. Again, my note was that Nanai makes her look good, but it wasn't a great match. Um, and not to, not to tease again, but 
this will be all revealed in my rankings that we'll do in mere minutes now. We're almost there because next up is the main event of, of this show. A quick show. This was Natsuki Tayo and Yoshiko versus Arisa Hoshiki and Yusuke Aikawa. And uh, Natsuki Tayo got the pin on Arisa with uh, Moonsault. Um, again, Yoshiko was probably my favorite part of this match. The the parts with her and, and Aikawa going at it were uh, really good. I thought this dragged a little in the middle. But overall, very good match. Yeah, I liked it. I thought Yoshiko brought a good change of pace in terms of her style. I really felt at the end in the last few minutes that a lot of the um, women were very tired. It appeared. Aikawa at one point took some move and then sat up or something, and the camera zoomed in on her face, and she looked like she was totally spent. And I could sort of feel it in the way the match sort of came to the end where the energy just wasn't really there, um, which is certainly not unusual for people who are starting out their career to, you know, sort of tire or fatigue closer to the end of the match. Um, obviously, the main event is going to go the longest of any of these comparatively to matches that are going six minutes or three minutes or something like that. So I did feel a little bit of the tiredness of the wrestlers at the end, which I think detracted a little bit from the match for me. After the match, Yusuke was trying to get in Natsuki Tayo's face, but Yoshiko intervened to uh, stop the the problem that was forming between the two of them. Strangely too, because I believe on the next show, two of these people, I forget, two of these people tag on the next show. And I was like, huh, that's very strange considering <laughs> what happened at the end of this show. Yeah, there is some strange sort of, they seem to be setting up feuds. And then on the next show, they seem to go away. Like they had the Yoshiko Bito feud, which sort of lasted the first two shows. And then seemingly not on this show um, because Bito was in the opening two matches. So I don't know what their plan was if they were just sort of trying to get people experience with different combinations just to sort of help them improve. I don't know if that was the goal or if they were maybe trying to set up long-term sort of multi-show feuds. I guess as we continue this, uh, I guess we'll find out what the answer is. Yeah, the main event of the next show is Natsuki Tayo and Yusuke Aikawa versus Mayu Iwatani and Yoko Bito. So they get in each other's faces and then they're teaming on the next show. All right, well, I think it's time, Taylor, to... Is it officially time for the to, big moment? <laughs> to break out our stardom rookie 2011 rookie rankings. So you have the floor, my friend. Okay, I'm just looking. I don't want to miss anyone. Well, why don't we go, why don't we go alternate? So we have five rookies, correct? One, two, three. Because I'm not going to count Haruka... Okay. A child. Um, <laughs> so we got one, well, two, three, four, so five, six. We've got Yusuke Akawa. We got Eri Susa, Mika Nagano, Mayu Iwatani, Arisa Hoshiki, and Iris, if you want to count Iris. So six. Six. Okay. So my number six, I'm starting with Eri Susa. Yeah, I agree with that. I haven't actually written this out, but uh, I'm going to just go with it. 
I haven't either, and I'm looking at the card trying to make sure I don't forget anyone. Yeah, I might um, I might start making a, a document here so that I don't uh, fuck this up. Okay, so number six, Ari Susa. Number five, because we're counting her, I'm going to put Iris. This is so hard for me because I really like Iris. But she honestly hasn't gotten a chance to do much so far. Like, we haven't seen her in a real singles match. You know, just that little match with Yoko Bito, but she hasn't gotten the chance that Mayu or Arisa have had. Uh, so I'll agree with you. I'll go with, with Iris fifth. All right. Wow. Maybe we, we might end up having the same list, would, yeah, which might would just be, be really exciting uh, to <laughs> great, listen to. Great audio. Um, number four. I am going to go with Mayu Iwatani. Uh. <laughs> okay, well, let's hold on. Let's talk about this. Are we doing this based on who we just subjectively, personally think is the best? or And if so, is that based on just how they are right now? What we think about their future outlook? I mean, what, what are what's the criteria here, Taylor? I would say the criteria is... What you thought of their, I guess this is what I'm doing, what you thought of their in-ring ability on the first three shows. Um, I mean, that's largely what I'm basing it on, sort of. It's it's always very hard to to predict the future. Obviously, we know the future, which makes it sort of even harder to not bias ourselves towards one wrestler or another who we know does well but I was just basing it mostly on how they looked on the first three shows that we watched. Okay. That's fair. All right. I'm with you then. So you have Mayu fourth. Uh, yes. And then th- third. No, no, there are seven. You said there's six, but there's seven because I'm still seeing four wrestlers that we can rank. So Mayu is five. Who am I missing? Ari Susa is seven. Iris is six. Mayu is five. Number four for me is going to be Arisa Hoshiki. Okay, I'm still not sure who I'm missing if there's seven. <laughs> this is compelling. This is really good, I think. Uh, okay, Yusuke Aikoa, one. Yes. Arisusa, two. Mika Nagano, three. Mayu Iwatani, four. Arisa oh, Mika Hoshiki. Nagino, wait a minute. Hold on. Wait, time out. <laughs> I, I'm just listing them. This is them. really good audio. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out how many there are at okay. this very moment in time. Ready? Here we go. Yoko Bito. Ari Susa. Iris. Hold on. Is Yoko Bito a rookie? No. Yes. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay. I wasn't counting Yoko Bito. Wait a minute. Hold on. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on her cage match. I'm looking at matches. No, it, no, Yoko Bito. It was her her second match. Was uh, the first Stardom show after her after a three minute time limit draw with draw Aries with Aries Pusa. Pusa. So she is a rookie. Okay, and I guess Yoshiko was a rookie, rookie too, wasn't she? Yeah, I, yeah, I wasn't, yes. I'm just like assuming all these people are veterans. Suddenly, for some okay. So wow, is it Yoko Bito, Aries Susa. See, I don't count Mika because she wrestled for Ice Ribbon. Now, she only had one match. All right. So me, are we counting? Let me look at her cage match, and I will make the official determination. I feel like I need to write these down. Yeah, that's... So, I yeah, she had had 
she had two matches in 2009. Yeah, one on a freelance show and one an ice ribbon. Well, no, I two. got two, I got two ice ribbon matches. Oh. One exhibition match, a three-minute time limit draw, one real match, and then a grappling match that I'm not counting. Right. And that so was actually in- a rookie, yeah. but that was two years ago. I know. That's tough. I don't think, uh, for the Observer, I don't think she'd be a rookie. But, all right, we don't have to, we don't have to rank Mika Nagano. Um, I mean, we can. I mean, it's sad looking at her cage match and realizing we're it's, almost it's through almost her entire over, career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that breaks my heart, really. Okay, so are we including Mika or no? Sure, let's include her just for fun. Okay. What the hell? All right. Um, okay, so I'm writing everyone down. Do, 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 do. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yoko, Arisusa, Iris, Mayu, Mika, Yoshiko, Arisa, um, and Aikawa. Okay. Silence as I try to figure out my list here. is good, I think. Very okay. good. Okay. So, well, I'll start with eight while you sit and think of your list. Because okay. eight is still, for me, going to be Arisusa. Okay, so there's eight people. I think I'm happy with mine. So, yes, eight, Arisusa. We agree on that. And I think we agree that Iris is seventh. Um, yes, I agree that Iris is seventh. Okay, go ahead with your sixth selection. Okay, so my sixth pick is going to be... Ooh. Should we have done this as a draft instead? Would that have been more interesting? What? <laughs> no. No? You don't think so? Wait, a draft of what? We just each pick four people? Yeah, we just go back and forth? I mean, we could probably do both after we do these rankings, although <laughs> I have a, the way things are going, we might have the same identical rankings. Yeah, maybe. Okay, go um, ahead. Oh, now I'm I'm torn now. Um, I'm trying not to bias myself, knowing the future. Uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to say... My number six is going to be Mayu. Um, I think that first Mika match, I think only judging on these three matches, that first Mika match was so good to me. She looked so cool. She had so unique that to me that she would rank ahead of Mayu. That was my, that was my unsuredness on, on those two. Yeah. Well, I also have Mayu here, but we're about to depart. Oh, Okay, because my number five would be would be Mika. I'm putting Arisa Hoshki in fifth. Interesting. And a lot so there are gonna be people who listen to this who know me who are gonna think, and my dog is growling in the back. I don't know if you can hear that. But there are people who know me who are gonna say that I'm being biased against Arisa because I now hate her. But I've actually the watching these first stardom shows has softened me up on Arisa for some reason. I've just like really enjoyed her matches. So, but she doesn't strike me at this point as as good of a prospect as the person I have in fourth place. But this is something I want to discuss at this point about uh, Mayu and Arisa. I think, so this was hard for me because obviously we talked about this last episode that Mayu becomes the bigger star, but it, it looks at this point like the promotion is more behind Arisa than Mayu at this point. Yes, I would agree. Now it is early. I don't know. You mentioned the main event of the next show has Mayu in it. Yes. So I don't know if that shifts. I haven't looked at any of the future cards, so I'm not spoiled on who 
gets bigger. I don't know if it was just a factor of that it seemed like she was more prepared early on and they just wanted to put the more prepared wrestlers closer to the top of the card. I don't know. Um, but I would probably agree with you that she looks like the more pushed of the two wrestlers at the moment. Even though she failed her protest. That's true, but maybe she, you know, once she passed, that gave her the confidence and she really rocketed up the, um, you know, really ramped up her ability. So I, you had Mika fifth and I had Arisa fifth, right? Yeah, so, so although we're not far off because Arisa would be my number four. Right, and I'll have Mika Nagano here. I'm just, I'm very high on her. Um, And then my number, ooh, this gets hard. It does. The top um, three is really hard. Man, I am going to go. Ooh, mm. I am going to go. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go with Yoshiko. Only for the fact that she's so different than the sort of look and style of the other wrestlers that I think if I had watched these three shows, knowing what the promotion is going for, that I would be more concerned that she might not succeed because she doesn't really fit in with the aesthetic of the company. That's fair. I'm going with Yoko Bito third. Largely just because I think the two people I have ahead of her, I thought their highs were higher than Yoko Bito. Which is which is fair. I I debated between Yoshiko and Yoko Bito for that spot, so I could see putting her in that spot as well. I think the top three are all fairly close in my mind to me. It's sort of one through three are very close. Four and five are close, and then sort of five, six, seven are sort of close for me. That's what I would do. I would put Yoko Bito in number two. This is fascinating to me. So I thought I would be going out on a limb by putting Yusuke Aikawa first. I was like, oh, I'll do this and that'll be compelling because Taylor won't do that. But uh, you did. You don't know me. You don't I know don't. Me. Uh, I mean, my reasoning is, look, she had an extra match, which I think probably helped. She had that match with Nanai, which we both really enjoyed, which shows that she can, at least against a veteran, someone with some experience, can have a good match. She had the good tad match, which we both really enjoyed in the first show. And then she had this third tag, which, um, you know, we weren't blown away by it, but it was still very good. She has a good look to me. Um, maybe some of it is biased towards the fact that we know that the promotion was sort of built around her as well, which sort of makes it obvious that she would be number one. Um, but to me, she's been the most impressive in-ring wrestler for me through the first, well, now technically four matches of hers that we've seen. So to me, it was pretty easy. I mean, I don't know that Yoko Bito would have, I don't know that I give any consideration to Bito being ahead of her. No, I, I I was picking for number one between Yoshiko and and Yusuke Aikawa. I It's just, and I guess I don't know how long these other people were training, but it's just something so impressive to me. Of I'm probably having a little bias here. Of 
Aikawa going from being a model and training in wrestling for six months and coming out this good, it just blows me away. Yeah, so a little bit, we ended up diverging a little bit. We thought we were going to have identical lists, but it's a little bit different. It'll be interesting as we continue doing these to see, um, you know, maybe we should do them every show and just see the way in which our, um, you know, the rating shifts and soon we'll have more um, rookies to consider. So maybe people will graduate off the list. Um, but once we figured out what the hell we were doing, um, that was very interesting to me to hear your thoughts as well. Yeah, no, I'm excited about that. We can definitely do that going forward. So those are the second and third stardom shows. I guess I should save my rankings. So I know what I said on this one. I'll throw that over into our, our run sheet. So that's it for those. We'll, I'm sure we'll continue going through these shows uh, since there's not a whole lot else going on. The other show that we watched was Sendai Girls, July 2, 2016. Big show in Niigata. Uh, this is newly on independentwrestling.tv. I think last week or so it went on there. And like I said at the beginning of the show, if you haven't watched this yet, you can use the code Sendai to get five free day trial, a five free day trial, and uh, watch this bad boy for free. Yes, and there's, I believe they're going to be putting more shows on. They did have an announcement when they first talked about that, the, that they had reached an agreement with Sendai Girls, a partnership. So I'm imagining more shows will be coming. Uh, it's a bit difficult to say what those shows will be. We don't know. And obviously, um, there aren't really, Sendai Girls hasn't run any no um, fan shows. So not sure if they will be putting up current stuff or if it will largely be shows like this sort of historical big shows from the history of the promotion. All right, this show, and and frankly, to me, if you agree with this, Taylor, this is like a one, maybe two match show. Yeah, I think it's a one. I think to me, it's a one match show. It was part of, they did three big shows for their, um, It's their 10th anniversary, uh, which is part of why they were doing these big shows. Um, And to me, looking through the other shows, they had a show in Sendai, um, which is obviously their home base, as they are Sendai girls. And they had a show in Corican Hall. I think looking at the cards of each, obviously the main event of the show is really big. It was a big deal. but I think this is probably the weakest show on the undercard for me, looking at those other two shows. Yeah, so my, my thought is mostly to just kind of talk about some of our thoughts on the undercard rather than go match by match. I'm not sure there's anything that interesting to say about most of the show. Uh, but to me, this is like, a, <laughs> it's kind of a classic Sendai Girls show in that the undercard is kind of there and it's the show is dragged along by... Uh, by the top of the card. And unfortunately, this was at a time in Sendai Girls when your, you know, your your semi-main here involves uh, Chihiro Hashimoto and Dash Chisako. And they're just like not at the level yet to really carry it in the way that they are nowadays. And I say this as someone who's a huge fan of Sendai Girls. It's probably uh, maybe my second favorite promotion, Joshi promotion after stardom. I, I really enjoy the promotion. 
but it's just kind of just how it is. You get an Iger match, you get uh, a six person tag match that goes on too long. Then you get like two really strong matches up top. Yeah. I found it actually most interesting as sort of a historical artifact of, you know, 2016, this was mid 2016. And I started watching Joshi, I think at the end of 2015 or around there. So this show was really sort of a, um, a little bit of a blast from the past for me, um, you know, an Alex Lee match and Alex Lee, when I first started watching Joshi was seemingly on every show in an undercard match. And I saw her so many times and now she's wrestling slightly less than she used to. Um, so I don't see her as much. It was good seeing that, uh, seeing Siri pre MMA departure, uh, was very fun for me. She was someone I was a big fan of before she left for UFC. I was sort of bummed that she left, obviously happy for her success, but I had really enjoyed watching her. So it was fun. It was sort of the most fun I had from the undercard was sort of seeing these matchups and wrestlers that maybe I see a little bit less nowadays. Um, obviously, Kyoko Kimura is retired, so I don't see her at all. So that was good seeing her. But yeah, not a, I wasn't really blown away by anything on the undercard, including the the semi-main tag title match, which sort of lived in the area of it was sort of just there for me. Yeah, I pretty much agree. A few things that, you know, are just kind of noteworthy. Uh, if you are checking this out, the show out, coming from the Everything Elite show, uh, Nyla Rose is on this show. It's kind of fun to see where she was four years ago. Uh, Hikaru Shida's in the same match. So uh, I think that's interesting in some ways, although that match is not that fun and is very long. Um, it was fun to see Shuri there in like with a very different look uh, than she has nowadays. Um, I, I enjoyed the the semi-main tag match with uh, Chiro and Dash. Chiro is like is so strong even at this point, even though she's definitely not in the 200 kilogram club uh, at this point in her career. Uh, but very strong, fun to see them as kind of like uh, young girls in a way. And uh, so I, I, I was not watching Sendai Girls at this point. So it was fun for me to be able to see them at this part of their career. Now, the main event, I don't know about you, Taylor, but I thought it was excellent. I When I turned it on, so I didn't know anything. I didn't know the, the finish. I didn't know anything about it coming in. But it's for the Sendai Girls world title. EO comes out wearing Stardom's red belt and... Uh, poor Sarah, who just has to hear my wife, who just has to hear my random wrestling thoughts, uh, was sitting near me. And I was like, oh, this match is going to a draw. She's like, what are you talking about? You know, she didn't care, obviously. And I was like, well, Eo's the red belt champion. Mako's the Sendai girls champion. Mako's not going to lose on her own show. Eo's not going to lose while she's the red belt champion. Uh, so I just assumed that's what was happening. And I was like, Wow, really impressive how hard they're going for a match that's going to go to a draw. <laughs> and uh, and then it didn't. Uh, Mako wins this one with about 20 Death Valley drivers in a row. Yeah, I also thought it was going to a draw because the match started and it said, oh, there's a 30-minute time limit and the video file still had 42 minutes left on it. And so in my mind, I thought to myself, I had already thought, oh, it's going to be a time limit draw. And then I paused to check how much time was left. 
and it said 42 minutes, and I went, oh, yeah, they're definitely going to a draw. I don't have any – I was watching back then. I don't know that I if I watched this match at that time. Like, I don't even remember if I've ever seen this match before. I would have to go back in my notes and see if I have it anywhere, which I don't think I do. Um, but I was in the same boat as you where I figured that they were going to go – I mean, I figured it was obvious they would go to a draw. It's something that happens with Mako a lot, where she goes to these draws with the bigger names um, in Joshi. So, yeah, the the finish really surprised me as well. It was a cool finish, though, where she hits like three or four Death Valley drivers in a row, and then the last one, Eo fights to get over to the rope to kind of try to break it up, uh, but Mako pulls her away and just about broke Eo's neck on the on the last one. Yeah, dropped her directly on her head. Yeah. Uh, I was like, oh gosh. Um, the, you know uh, it. Oh, go ahead. It also was. Um, you know, Eo has not been in the Joshi scene now for a few years, um, so I haven't seen her. I haven't seen her wrestle, so it was such a great reminder to me of how good she was at that point in time, which was probably 2016 might've been her peak in terms of how good she was. Obviously she was winning uh, tons of awards at that time. She was the most well-known Joshi wrestler probably in the world. Um, But she's so good. She has such a great combination for me of power and agility that so few people in all of wrestling have, I mean, I, the first person that comes to mind as well is someone like Kota Ibushi who sort of combines some aspects of power wrestling with some, with the agility that he has um, in terms of the dives and the splashes that he does, but the ability to stand in the ring and really, you know, throw the suplexes, throw the strikes, which EO has that ability as well. So it was a great, it was a very welcome, reminder of how good EO was. I don't know if she's still that good. I don't haven't seen her wrestle in in probably at this point two or three years. Um but yeah it was very heartwarming to see such a talented wrestler again. Yes. I too have not seen her in several years. And I think it was eight 2018, I think is when she last wrestled in stardom. So, you know, since then I haven't seen her and it was a welcome reminder of how good she was, but also just like how big of a star she was, like her look, her confidence. She just knows how good she is. She does this uh, spot in the match where she uh, does a hand, a handstand into a knee drop. And then she just gets up and smiles at the crowd. And there's just a look on her face. Like I'm fucking good. Aren't I? <laughs> you know, like It's just amazing. But it, it brought into sharp relief for me what stardom is missing without EO. I don't think they have anybody who has this level of star power. Like Hanakamura is probably the closest, but she doesn't have the self-assurance that EO had at this point in her career. Hana might get there. She's very young, obviously, but they don't have that. And it, it also was a good reminder of why with the way things were in 2018, why EO left to go to WWE. I mean, she pretty much had ascended as high as she could in the Joshi scene. And it's easy for me to think that if the stardom Bushiroad thing existed, then EO would have stuck around. 
and maybe she's interested in coming back at some point. But you can imagine why someone who's like that much bigger of a star than just about everybody else feels like eh, I need to go tackle something else. And so uh, I don't know. It was it was refreshing in a lot of ways to see her. Also, kind of sad, and uh, just made me made me miss her and and made me miss like this level of star power in stardom. Yeah, she really was the perfect combination, which is sort of what you alluded to that. She was an incredible in-ring worker. I mean, probably, if not the best, one of the best during that time period and for many years with also the combination of the crowd connection, you know, the charisma being a star. And I think there is a lot of people currently in stardom that have one or the other, which a lot of wrestlers do, but it's very rare to find that combination of someone who is such a star connects with the crowd has a charisma and also is really in a league of her own in terms of wrestling ability. I mean, I remember in those years she was regularly ranking, you know, in the wrestling observer year end awards, she was regularly ranking in the top 10 wrestlers in the world. And that includes the men. She was often in the top of those rankings which nowadays i don't think anyone even really gets close at this point um so yes it was a rare i mean her and um Kyrie hojo was another one maybe on a little bit less but someone who was so good in ring and had the connection with the fans it was sort of a rare period that stardom got these you know, and Mayu, maybe to even a little bit less extent, has that connection with the crowd and, of course, the in-ring ability. To have the three of them all in stardom at the same time, working at a high level, you know, at their quote-unquote peak, um, it's something that rare. it's rare and it's very hard to do in any wrestling in the world is to get three amazing workers who connect with the crowd all at the same time working so well. So, you know, in a way it sounds like we're sort of faulting stardom, but it's not an easy thing to do ever to have this level of talent available to your promotion. Oh, absolutely. No, it's, it's not really stardom's fault. I mean, (laughs) there wasn't really an opportunity for them to grow any bigger at the time when EO and Kyrie decided they wanted a different challenge, you know? So it's hard to blame anybody really in that situation, uh, but it would be fun. Like I think about the the roster that Stardom has now and how fun it would be to see EO and, and Kyrie mixing it up with uh, Hana and Julia and uh, Arisa back now at kind of a, a top level. Uh, that it would be fun and uh, something that I think there's a possibility we see it down the road somewhere. Maybe fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So that's all the stuff. Well, there was, I don't, did you watch the, uh, so there was a, a little treat match after the main event there from July 30, 2016, there was a, a Mako Satomura versus Yoshiko match. Did you check it out, Taylor? So I didn't even see that because the file ended and I said, Oh, there's still 15 minutes. And I started sort of fast forwarding through and didn't see it. All I saw was Mako making some backstage comments and thought, Oh, this is the end of the video. So I missed it. You watched it. Yeah, it was really good. I really liked it. Uh, probably a four star. Or so we didn't say. How did you? How did you rate the EO Mako match? 
So I went four and a half stars. I nearly went four and three quarters, but I ended up at four and a half. I also went four and a half. So I thought it was a match of the year level match. But I'm a pretty stingy star raider. So not much gets above above four and a half for me. And I'm a much less stingy um, raider, which is why I almost went four and three fours. But <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the fact that it is historical, um, it's already happened. It was four years ago. Maybe in my eyes, you know, brings it down a little because they're sort of, oh, it happened. And, you know. I'm not now saying, oh, what's going to happen, you know, what's going to happen next because we are, we sort of already know what happens or we could look it up if we don't know it off the top of our head. So maybe that hurts right. it a little. That's fair. I, I was at uh, four stars for the Mako Yoshiko match. So I would suggest it to anyone. If you're going to watch the the main event of this uh, July 2 show, I would just fast forward a little bit and watch the Mako Yoshiko match. It's very fun. Can't really suggest watching any of the rest of this Sendai Girls show. No, unless you have, unless you look at the card and you see someone who you're particularly a fan of, who maybe you want to see what they were up to four years ago. If you're an AEW fan and you want to check out Sheeta and Nyla Rose in that six person tag match. Although I was on the same page with you that it went very long and they seemed to lose their way. So it's not an excellent match. Um, in my mind, but fun to see what they were up to um, now closing in on four years ago. Yeah. And if you're a Mika Iwata fan or you miss uh, Ayako Hamada, the opening match was pretty fun. I thought it was a good opener. Yeah. I, um, you know, thought it was good at that point. Mika was very young. So it was a good sort of opening uh, veteran versus younger wrestler match. So those are the shows that we watched for this week or for, yeah, this episode. On the next episode, I assume we will continue on with stardom and we'll see if there's anything else we want to watch. What, you know, first run new shows are, are coming up uh, between now and our, and our next show, Taylor. So Ice Ribbon is running shows. They had a show. We're recording this on May 2nd. So they had a show today. Um, a dojo show with some IWGQ tournament matches, also some non-tournament matches as well. They have a show coming up on May 4th, which is a, they were supposed to have their Yokohama um, big show on 5-4, which obviously now is not happening. So they're, they're running a show on 5-4 as a slight sort of replacement um, Choco Pro has a match, has a show on May 3rd at 10 a.m. Japan time, which means it will be for those in the States, it'll be on, it'll be in the evening on May 2nd. They also have a show at 10 a.m. on May 4th, which means it'll be on May 3rd in the States. And then they have a one match show with a last man. Um, or I guess last person standing because it's intergender, um, a last person standing match on May 5th at 8 p.m. Japan time, which means it will be very early in the morning on May 5th in the United States. Marvelous, as I mentioned before, is going to be running dojo shows every other week um, on Fresh Live. 
Their next show is coming up on May 10th. And then the one after that will be obviously on May 24th. So those are the Joshi shows to look out to. Although at this period of time, shows, some shows happen to be announced um, maybe mere days before with not a lot of notice. If we see any of those, we'll retweet those on our Twitter so that you're aware and can watch if you so desire. All right. Well, I guess that's it for this week and two weeks from. Now, this will come out on Monday, May 4th. And so our, our next episode would be scheduled for May 18th, if I'm doing the math right, which I'm probably not. But every other Monday, we come out with a podcast. So anything else you want to add, Taylor, before we get out of here? No, I think that's it. I hope everyone is uh, staying safe and is able to enjoy a little bit of wrestling to cheer them up during this strange time in our lives. That's right. Couldn't agree more. If you want to reach out to us, we're at J Bomb Audio on Twitter. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Nate, not Nate. I'm doing my spiel wow. from Everything Elite. Whew. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor is at Tay Mambo. Uh, check us out. Talk to us. Follow us. Uh, let us know if you like the shows and it, what stuff you want us to talk about while we're in these these weird times. So that's it. Um, See you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.